if it's your first time, unlike most first times, this is going to go exceptionally well. And the reason I know that to be true is because I just recorded the episode, so I already know it's great. And it is a returning guest who you all loved so much. I love him. He's amazing. He's so genuine, so authentic, spits the truth. And we talk about swipe culture, how to get past the honeymoon phase, why you need to get past the honeymoon phase, and relationships of today versus relationships historically. He is none other than the angry therapist, John Kim. And uh, there was a lot of requests to have him back. And, you know, you speak, I listen. That's what this is about. And, well, right now I'm speaking and you're listening. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. But before we do that, I do have a small request, which is if you could do me the great honor and favor of going to wherever you listen to this and give it a five-star review and a written review that is so helpful to get it into more people's ears so more people can learn about relationships and have amazing connection. It is so absolutely helpful. Because, you know, the quality of our relationships will determine the quality of our lives. And here's one thing I know to be true. If you have great boundaries, you will have a fucking amazing life. That's true because you're already whole. Boundaries preserve your wholeness. They draw a circle around who you are. And this is about having our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own opinions, honoring other people's thoughts, feelings, and opinions and beliefs. And also, if we feel like we're a doormat, if we feel like people take advantage of us, if we feel like we have a hard time connecting with other people, you know, all of these things come back to our identity and our boundaries. Boundaries preserve our identity. They preserve what we love and what matters to us, including ourselves. They create self-worth. When you say a boundary, it's not okay for you to speak to me like that. It is saying to yourself that you are worthy of being treated that way, which means you are creating self-worth. They're symbiotic. You communicate a boundary, you love yourself. You love yourself, you communicate a boundary. One needs to happen first, which is the communication of the boundary, because it is a deposit in the love bank, in our own love bank. So if it relates for you, I have an amazingly deep, awesome, deep dive on boundaries. And all you have to do is go to bit.ly slash create the boundaries. So bit.ly slash create the boundaries. Go there now. Without further ado, here is John Kim, the angry therapist. Well, I'm happy to have back on my, now I can say becoming good friend. I think I can say that, right? I don't think you need the becoming. Yeah, we're like, we're, I think we've figured that there's quite a mirror between us and we echo a lot of the same sentiments. And uh, John Kim, for those who don't know your voice yet, uh, he's already been on the podcast one be- once before and you might know him as the angry therapist or he used to be a miserable fuck. <laughs> no, which is his book thank, title. I'm not insulting him. Uh, no, true story. And uh, yeah, thank you for the past tense. I, I think you could say good friend. And um, I was going to actually give you a, a compliment. You know, uh, a lot of people that um, portray themselves online in a certain way, of course, uh, because we could hide behind our phones and, and, you know, filters and all that. And our messages can be very curated. So I met Mark in person for the first time. And uh, I got to say, he is he holds up like butter, meaning he's exactly who he portrays to be online. And so that's why I think we could use the word good instead of becoming because I've been following you for a while. And um, your consistency has given um, given given me buy in, if that makes sense. No, I appreciate that, because I think the 
thing that, I mean, you're, you're constantly a requested guest on my podcast too. And that's because of your level of authenticity and transparency. I mean, even the title of your, your book, I used to be a miserable fuck is, is awesome because that's, that's like claiming and connecting to the truth of who we are. And I, I've, I appreciate what you said because it is certainly, I don't ever want there to be a line between who I am and who I am, you know, online or right, any, right. you know, I think there's a difference between privacy and, and transparency. Like there are some things that need to re remain private within myself and within my relationships. But beyond that, I mean, I think it's all fair game. You know, I think no one can ever do a tell all on me because I've already told all of the things that's always been a really like, I think a valuable thing for me is like a lot of the work that I've done is sort of like an exorcism of shame, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I tell people that I've swam too far to turn back. And I think that's what you're talking about is like, I've been documenting starting on Tumblr for 10 years. So it's like, um, this is who I am now. I can't now go and delete everything because it would be impossible. Right. And isn't that fascinating to think that kids of the future, I mean, you're about to have one and not too, too long that, yeah. That they could actually um, um, Google you and um, know about all your journeys, which, which I think is actually beautiful. I mean, if if my dad had a an Instagram, you know, and growing up um, when he was in his 20s or whatever, that would be amazing. I mean, that's a time capsule. I, I would be fascinated to uh, go through that. Yeah, to think of being able to look at who they were, like even now to look back yeah. at my mom shared some pictures of my grandfather when he was young yesterday. She shared them and... I I just thought like why well, he died when she was really young. So, you know, I never got exposed to him, but to be able to see these pictures just what you're saying now, it'd be so neat if I could just go back on his Instagram. <laughs> but the other side of that of course is that there is it's the highlight reel usually. Sure. And there's also not a you know, there's a certain level of um privacy that there's the dark side of those things which is we don't tend to be unplugged. We don't tend to put our phones down. We tend to seek more exciting things outside of these moments, outside of this present moment. Yes. Um, and I, I definitely struggle with that. I find myself um, automatically picking up my phone and constantly checking things um, without it's just become knee jerk now. And that, that's, yeah. the power, that's a power of, uh, of us just living online and documenting our stories. I mean, I deleted my personal Facebook recently mm -hmm. about like three weeks ago, a month ago, because I was feeling like it was feeling heavy. And I deleted it permanently. I didn't do the like hide. I did the delete permanently and right. everything I've ever been on there will be gone. And it was an interesting experience when I would go to my laptop and open a browser, I would automatically write FA. Yeah. To pull up. And I was right. starting to observe that. I'm like, how unconscious is that? That when I'm bored, I'm like Facebook, yep. you know, or Instagram or right. email or text. And gosh, you know, it's this constant pull out of being present in this like cellular experience, you know, in, in the ability to sit down, like we had coffee, you know, just earlier this week or last week, whatever it was. And yeah, it was last Friday. And, and to be able to sit down with you, although it, the interesting side of that is that I felt like I already knew you so much in person. And then we sat down and it was just like, we were sharing literal space rather than inter internet space. Yeah. Um, and this, this word presence really uh, hits home with, with me and it has been lately. Um, you know, I used to live in my head all the time. I was either always uh, replaying the past or uh, worried and dreading the future. 
And so the part, I mean, one of the reasons why I was so miserable was because I was invisible, you know? Um, and when you're not living in the present, I mean, you're basically running on default, right? You're basically running on programming, um, on fear. And the thing that I noticed was my whole state, which I'm a big believer in now, like, you know, creating uh, environments and spaces where your state isn't in a fight or flight. Mm-hmm. I just like, I was just living like the sky was falling constantly. And so if you are always in that kind of fight or flight panic, it's really hard to like connect to yourself. I mean, you're basically slowly, slowly disconnecting, disconnecting until you wake up one day and you're like, I'm not happy and I don't know who I am. Man, I don't know why I'm anxious and I don't know why. I don't know. I find that that is often a survival strategy of like we get into our heads and we stay in there and we ruminate, we catastrophize, we go to our phones because to be present in our heart often is painful. Like we've never really sat through the things. Like when you, when you look back and you were in that space where you didn't feel present when you, when you can look back and say like, I was so in my head, Mm -hmm. what had you go there? Like what had you, you know, step outside of the the space of feeling? Um, I think uh, chasing, you know, the idea of um, chasing happy and tying happy to something that is contingent. So until I sold the screenplay or until I, you know, whatever, got the car or the house or whatever that was, I wouldn't allow myself to be happy. So life was on pause until I got those things, right? Uh, so I was always living in my head because I was worried about something or, you know, things that were beyond my control. And now today, I still feel that tug because uh, like you, you know, I'm building things and writing books and all that. And, and there's been more opportunity recently. And I feel that old John Kim, where he's starting to kind of tie uh, what it, what I want or the external things to my happiness today. And I got to quickly like take my scissors and cut that shit because um, I, I can easily fall into that chasing state, you know, your happiness being contingent on something happening. Man, I, I certainly understand that. I mean, growing up, that was a message I was sent is like, make a certain amount of money, get right. these assets, and right. you'll be a good provider. You'll have value as a male, you know, and, and seeking that level of status that would be desirable to a female partner in, in a heteronormative relationship. And I mean, you and I are both of the age that we've experienced some level of youth without the internet you know and oh that, yeah I, I had pagers growing up <laughs> i had a pager actually too i was laughing the other day someone was like do you ever like send yourself you know the where you page like a word and you'd laugh yeah, yeah like like, uh, like it's like if you turn upside down boobs or something. Yeah, yeah my brain went to boobs but yeah that's um. it. <laughs> it, it, but it's funny to think like i remember dial up i remember not having the internet yeah. and when that's now, when I shut my phone off and I'm left with no choice but to be bored or to figure out what I can do that's fun, that doesn't involve the phone or something, I'm connected back to something I'm familiar with. But I wonder for someone who only grew up with an iPad in front of them and then moved up you know, through the, yeah. the world, that would feel very foreign. I can't imagine the the people growing up today. You know the uh, the the teenagers um, that don't know dial up, don't know pagers, don't know analog, and but they grew up, you know, already in the world of social media, Facebook, Instagram, FaceTime. I, I it's got to be exponentially more difficult for them than us. Like yeah, of course. Like to say to someone who's only ever been plugged in, unplug. I mean that is like a. Their brains have not, I mean, when you look at the data on 
children interacting with uh, iPads and stuff that they're not recommended before the age of two because it affects brain development so yeah. much. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think like any technology, we get really afraid of what it might cause one day. Like I'm sure when the fax machine came out, people were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Faxing and this email right. thing, this is insane. Um, it's going to ruin the world. But I, I think it's, it, maybe it will up-level consciousness in a way we've never known. Because when you look at the map mm -hmm. out of, of what the internet looks like, it looks like a brain. And I think it is really a living organism of information, collective information, rather than siloed countries and religions and communities. We now have this collective experience of, I can think something different than I was taught. Still, there's a cost, of course, to that, depending on where you live. Yeah, um, I think that's actually the um, the kind of the miracle of the Internet is uh, that we are all connected, um, reminding ourselves that we're not meant to do life alone and also the power of that connection. I mean, even if you take just me and you, we both fell from the sky and now we have a real conversation, you know, real relationship. That's amazing, you know, but at the it same is. time. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you could actually kind of lose a step out of this life and jump into the the digital life uh if that is what you're doing constantly you know so i well, think um, and pretend to be someone that you're not you could literally yeah. take on different personas on the internet and never yeah. be found the irony though of that is that it really is just symbolic of what people do anyways you know yeah. it's just a it's digital expression of the same sure thing. uh magnification of, yeah. of what you're doing um the other piece, and I kind of want to bring it back to relationships, because if they're listening to us, that's probably what they want us to talk like, about. Why are they fucking talking about existentialism? In yeah, the we're talking about fucking beepers I, and shit. Let's, yeah. uh, not being present, uh, you know, obviously uh, turning you inv invisible and in your head. And of course, with technology and all of that being more difficult now to be present. At the same time, there's this huge movement of mindfulness and meditation and, and gratitude and all that happening too. But I think uh, because everything ripples, if we start to train our brains to not be present uh, and that we are always uh, swiping or, you know, typing or whatever, looking at screens, then it's going to impact our relationships, you know? And I think if you're not present in your relationship, uh, you're not going to be able to actually uh, know someone in a kind of a three-dimensional, multi-layer way where uh, you're going to have to lean into all the stuff that comes up and swim past that uh, to actually build something sustainable. Well, how all of those things are confounding, like because technology is so instantly gratifying, so instantly dopamine rich, so instantly, you know, you have a question, you just get an answer on Google. But, right. you know, you might ask someone a question and they take a bit to think about it. And we're like, oh, why are you not fast to thinking? And like, you're not like Google, you know, but I know we're not thinking that consciously, but we're so used to instant things. And, you know, right. I've heard people say, you know, if if they don't just get me, then then they're not the one. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's a lot to place love on. Like, that's also thinking that you're a very simplistic person and you're a person. So I already know you're not simplistic. You know, so that's this idea that Disney has also, oh, there's another confounding factor that Disney is like, you are someone who needs to be saved and mm -hmm. you're someone who's going to be up in this tower and some man's going to come get you, but that it should be instant and it should be, you fall in love with someone at 22 and you stay in love till you die. I mean, those, I, I mean, those are realities that just, they're not common. It's very rare. Yeah, and I think the um, the kids growing up, it's easy to believe that love is a light switch, 
that, um, you know, if you don't connect with someone within the first uh, seven minutes, then they're not the one. It's also because of swipe culture and because of all the quote unquote choices, um, you believe that you will always have a choice. So mm. uh, literally being on a date and if you're not feeling it while you're in the restroom or she is in the restroom, you're already looking for another potential, you know, um, that kind of stuff wasn't happening before. I mean, before you actually had to stick with it for a while and maybe look at some shit. Um, and I think now, <laughs> That's true. now people are, people are bouncing quick and what's going to happen is they're, they're, they're just going to repeat the same experience. And, and, and if you repeat it enough, you're going to start to not believe in love anymore. Mm. I, I think this pivots two things. One is that originally relationship when we didn't have as much choice as we do now, originally relationships were people stayed too long because they mm -hmm. didn't have a choice to leave. So sure. now we're in this space. It's kind of like we went from total self-abandonment historically in terms of how we, I mean, evolution, human evolution was designed that it was about putting the group needs ahead of your own needs. Mm -hmm. And that was survival. And now we're in this state where we can be overtly selfish and siloed. And so it's sort of similar to this, that we went from, you know, the, the staying too long to not staying long enough to see that the richness, I like the term you use, is it swimming past the breakers? Yes, yes. Uh, it's um, the breakers being the shore break of the ocean, right, where it's the, 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 the crazy. And then when you swim past that, like a lot of surfers do, then there's calm. Yeah, and, and that's such a good metaphor because, of course, when I think about when I finally figured out what true connection was and true love was, and I'm sure I'll get the universe will keep giving me many more lessons on that. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't want to say I figured it out. Let me just clear can control delete on that one. But what I know at least currently is that it is a sense of calm, a sense of dependability, a sense of it's not chaos. It's not uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Now it doesn't mean there won't be uncertainty and there won't be conflict. I just mean that it is this idea of, the richness of trust, the richness of dependability. And, you know, you see so many people talk about, like, I'm attracted to people who aren't good for me. I'm attracted to, mm -hmm. you know, my chemistry. I don't like the boring ones. Right. And well, they're, they're mistaking intensity for love. Yeah. And that's so common. Yeah. Part of that could be because that smells familiar. Part of that could be because that's all they know because they never swam past. Right. Yeah. And right. In order, in order to swim past, you actually have to look inward. There's like, there's no other way if you are just blaming or when, you know, cause when two people collide, um, shit's going to come up, you know, there's a lot of transference projections, uh, attachment styles, like all this stuff. It's multi-layered. And when that comes up, um, if you are blaming and holding a shield, then you're not going to swim past the breakers because you just have people pulling on tug of war ropes and pointing fingers. Um, but if that love is strong and you guys are at a place where you want some, uh, uh, growth, uh, then you start looking inward. Now you're swimming past, right? And then you start taking ownership. Now you're swimming past, you know, and then you start learning about yourself and putting new definitions on what love can look like. Now you're swimming past. And I think if you do that consistently for a long enough period of time where you have secondary change, meaning change that's irreversible, then you could now be in calm and you look and look back at the waves and realize that all of that was probably uh, dysfunction, um, you know, codependency, enmeshment, all the stuff that we could mistake for attraction. All your old stuff, all the stuff that you're, you inherited, all the stuff that you learn from your family, from your culture, your society, your media, all those things. I mean, there's so many um, 
there's so much information coming into a young person now. You know, there's, I'll run over an Instagram account that has like relationship messages that are just so, I don't know another word, they're dumb. Like not yeah. the person, but the message itself is dumb. Right. In that it's like, you know, if, if you're, if your woman's, I remember reading this, this was, I was like, oh God, it was like, if your woman's not jealous, then that means that her eyes are on another man. And I was like, oh, good Lord. Like that's, <laughs> that is just like the most toxic message ever. But yeah. I think about that is like, who curates the messages, right? Like who, if we're not taught to curate our own, we're, we're not necessarily taught to be independent thinkers because when you're an independent thinker, you challenge the systems that you're in. And it's, sure. The systems exist for a reason. You know, they exist because they create stability. They create capitalism. They create, someone's makes money off the systems. That's yeah. true of both weddings and divorces. I mean, the breakers, even the breakers themselves that cause relational dysfunction still somehow serve a purpose, unfortunately. But they serve yeah, a they purpose in terms of, <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> sell movie tickets. Good call. And love songs, right. Um, well, and I, I think about that of like, when you start to look at your relationships as invitations to healing, then you've changed the whole perspective as, as opposed to the invitation of forever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't like forever because nothing is forever. Uh, there's a lot of pressure when you say something is forever. I also don't like the one Me neither. because the one is lined with that kind of pressure. It's like, you know, it just feels so heavy. What happens if they become like, if all of a sudden their true color show and they're, they're not great people. All right. of a sudden you're like, but they're the one I got to hack this out. Yeah. yeah. And I also like when you said control, delete or whatever you said about love. Uh, oh, yeah. I, control, delete. Yeah. I, I, I like that the uh, that love is its own living, breathing thing. Um, I don't think it is a, an island to swim to. So even though I'm talking about swimming past the breakers to get to the calm, that doesn't mean that it's going to be calm forever. And that yeah. doesn't mean that, you know, you're you stop working. It just means it's like the initial chaos that usually um, creates uh, people to, uh, you know, fall into addictions or break up or, you know, throw chairs and all the, all the craziness. That stuff we should get past. But when you get to the calm, it's still you still need date night and you still need communication and everything it takes to, to, to get the um, to pedal the bike and, and keep it going. And I think love is like this own thing that two people build that takes a life of its own. And I think that if you build something amazing and sustainable, that love or the relationship can become its own kind of like incubator where it starts to change its parts, you and the person that you're choosing. Mm. That so becomes that, a feedback system. I like that. Yeah. I, system. I think that's, that's like next level shit, right? That's like mm -hmm. you have two people who are really – working every day to connect and communicate and trust and, and build something sustainable. And then what they're building, their relationship becomes, becomes bigger than its parts. I think then you have something um, that I think a lot of people um, don't experience, which is that really uh, uh, that amazing love that actually changes people. Mm, I love that where you are, you are invited to a new level based on the experience you have with another. And what, 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 yeah. And there's an author, Eli Finkel, who wrote a book called The All or Nothing Marriage. And he has an article called that from the New York Times. And he talks about how relationships of today are better than they've ever been in the context of the good ones, because you get more from them and you learn more from them. And the difference being that in 
the inherited version of marriage or relationship, it is that we would meet our Maslow's lowest needs from that, uh, you know, food, water, sex, shelter. And then now through the love of another, you can actually meet self-actualization. So the yeah. flip, and that's kind of a neat concept, isn't it? You know, what you just said I, about- I love that. And I love that, yeah, I love that you're throwing that out there because I really want people to shoot that high, you know, because- Me too. Mar- you know, marriage was started uh, for land. It was a negotiation. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. Um, so it was very low as far as your, your hierarchy needs. And also, you know, our parents or grandparents, it was just like, uh, who's, who's, you know, worth money and who has security that lives in the town. And like, it, you didn't have a lot to pick from. Right. And you just no, go. Your and- standards were low, no insult to grandma and grandpa, but I <laughs> yeah. mean, your standards were low. And, and we then, are the product of low standards. That's a good. Sure. Absolutely. And then you have kids <laughs> and then you're kind of like, you know, um, but you're right. Uh, today we want something more, which is a good thing. Um, not only the soil, the four food groups we want actually to become um, better people. And I think it's impossible to do so unless you're in that safe container. So that whole thing of the uh, relationship being healthy um, is more important than the actual, I think, attraction, even though they go hand in hand. 100%. I think that we start to find sexy, common dependability once we've moved past the breakers. Because all of a sudden we redefine what attraction is. We redefine everything. Right. Right. Because it's so easy today if, you know, four months into a relationship, uh, you have some troubles and now you're suddenly on Instagram or any other app and you're seeing, uh, you're looking over the fence and thinking the grass is greener. You're seeing a lot of pretty pictures. You're seeing a lot of pros. And we never was able to do this before. I mean, even me, me growing up, it's like if you wanted if you're curious, you actually have to go to like a bar or a club or somewhere to do a lot of work to date a lot of people. A lot of work. You're like, fuck that. (laughs) No, it's not hard enough to manage one human. Why would you want to manage five? I couldn't, I don't get it, but I, Hey, respect if someone's doing it in integrity, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. But it's also false because you're looking at commercials and you're now drifting from, from what you should be really looking at. And you're, playing a fantasy um, and then suddenly you're going to make choices that may not be smart. And then you start the pattern again. When I think that's where self-sabotage, this ability, that's where we turn around at the breakers, but with all the ways we do it, you know, all the fancy smart ways we keep dating similar people because we know we'll never go past the breakers right. with them. Right. I, I mean, I, I think if we want this greater thing, this self-actualization, this experience of, um, I don't want to say enlightenment, but this experience of like reaching higher versions of ourselves where love teaches us back and expands mm-hmm. our, what we know to be possible, then we can't do that. You know, you won't get new stories with old skills, you know, and that's, right. that's where I think we are at a place where we're learning about relational skills. We're learning how to relate in a way that is supplemental to because any inherited skills come from an inherited intention. So if the intention is to find a provider or for a provider to find a good, you know, someone to stay at home, uh, which there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm just saying that in the old context of marriage and relationship, then the skill sets matched it. They were to just maintain a relationship. They weren't to build deeper intimacy. I love what you said um, that love. Did you say love teaches you back? Love yeah. what? Yeah. Love that it like expands what you believe to yeah. be possible. I love that because now it's bigger than you. Yes, yes. And that and maybe is God. That maybe is, I mean, I, 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 in essence, I think that comes back to presence. 
I think that comes back to presence. Yeah, we just threw a boomerang and it's coming back now. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a callback. But yeah, that comes back to presence that like the space that lives between you and around you is the same space that love provides event, you know, I, I think is always there. But when we get past the breakers, we actually get to feel the calm. We get to feel presence. We get to feel, you know, it's probably not a coincidence that when your phone is even face down on a table, you're less likely to be vulnerable with the person you're sitting with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's based on research. So sure. that sort of comes back again to like, you're not fully present. So you're not experiencing the depths of what love can provide, which is even the mirror that you're not present. Like if they say you're always on your phone. Right. That is the invitation of love. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, and I, I think it's not just being present as far as, you know, being here in the here and now. Of course, that's the beginning. Um, but also the, to get past the breakers, you got to know what's running underneath. Right. What is because, you know, we pull so much from our subconscious. Right. Uh, so you have to know what's happening underneath. And, and this is why a lot of people um, see a therapist is to figure out uh, to make the subconscious conscious and be like, oh, that's what's really happening. It's not because, you know, I'm whatever sexual or this or, or avoidant or, you know, might be some of those things. But underneath I'm running because of fear of, I don't know, abandonment or rejection or you know, things that you may not be aware of. And I think that's what that kind of understanding is um, falls under presence. I think we can merge two theories here because I have a theory that we hit upper limits in love, that we, that when we finish the sentences, when I love people, they, and when I let people love me, they, those two usually have outcomes that are not positive. If someone goes, love me back, I'm like, dig deeper. So it's, it's, and so what's past the breaker is actually those answers. And so the reason we live in the chaos is because we're afraid of the pain that what we've associated love with. So for example, when I was 19, I was in a relationship that led to, um, that I was on the receiving end, although not as a victim, but as someone who had no boundaries and didn't pay attention, uh, of betrayal, lying, you know, all the things. Mm -hmm. And that was the exact outcome that happens to someone who doesn't have boundaries. And I made that mean unconsciously that when I love people, I lose myself. When I love people, they betray me. When I love people, they lie to me. And so I swam to the breakers all the time saying I was doing it, saying I was like showing up to love. I was ready. Oh my gosh, though, I was using every unconscious trick in the book to not actually let someone love me. So that was the stuff that was happening underneath you weren't aware of. Right. Yeah, I didn't know till one day. I mean, I dated really incredible women. So it wasn't that. It was that every woman that actually wanted to love me, I ran from. And I remember a woman said to me one day, have you ever actually let a woman love you? And I realized I hadn't in like six, 16 years. I was 35 at the time. And it was when I was 19 that happened. Right. And it like hit me like a truck, you know, where yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. I've And so my breakers were so unconscious. They were like choosing unavailable people, running from people who could love me. Mm-hmm. And coming up with all the reasons in the world, calling it, I mean, I, I think I could argue that it's fate, of course, because it was fate. It brought me to this moment sure. to learn to become a, t- a teacher in this area and a student. But the, I think that sort of merges is like what's at the break or what's at the chaos, what's beyond it, what's beyond where you think love leads is that you need to learn a new skill set. For So for mine, it might have been defensiveness, right? Someone would say, hey, Mark, you're doing this. And I get reactive. Well, when I finally said, learned that the antidote to defensiveness is actually saying, I can see some truth in what you're saying. 
I was in conversations I'd never been in before. Mm. I was vulnerable in ways I'd never been before. Right. And just like when I used to run from people who, who could love me, when I finally started to stand still, I was in moments I had never been with someone I could trust. Right. So it's interesting because I think I've experienced, I know for sure I've experienced what's beyond the breaker. And I think there's maybe another set of, of waves that I'm going yeah. through. Yeah, those would be new level, life. but yeah, yeah, those would be the big wave surfing. Yeah. And ironically, I'm learning how to surf right now. But the I I cannot be more grateful than the lessons that partners have brought, that love has brought. I've never oh, yeah. had a, a quicker compressor and container to grow. My I think I would say my divorce is the biggest um emotional collapse I've ever had in my life. And if, but if it wasn't for that, like you, I, it would have never led me to my, my hero's journey. I, I would have, I wouldn't have been doing, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now at all. I would have no sense of, I wouldn't have a sense of purpose. I don't know what I would be doing. Yeah. Same. I mean, I really love that. I, I have two thoughts on that. You know, that saying, um, turn your mess into your message. And, mm, and that yeah. has been true for me. The other thing that's been really true for me is I keep becoming the teacher I needed. Like I yeah. keep saying what I needed to know before as I've learned through it. Um, so it's like I'm never many, I'm never more than a chapter ahead of anyone. And I'm never, I'm always a chapter behind other people, you know, and it's sort of, a, mm -hmm. I'm always in the story somewhere. But I think it's a beautiful thing to take what causes you pain and start to learn from it and then share what you learn because you anyone's an expert at something they made it through. I think our hearts are meant to break. Um, actually, to shatter, it reminds me of that Japanese art where they break the pieces of the bowls and then they glue them back together with with um, with gold. Yeah. And um, it's, it's more beautiful or worth more than when it was um, not broken. And mm. I always... I, I see that image. I forgot what it's called. It starts with a K, but it's a certain type of art. But I, I think about that when it comes to our hearts. And I feel like every time our hearts are shattered, um, and a lot of people run from that because they don't, because it hurts, of course. But every time your heart is shattered, I think it, uh, it softens. And, and, and like a muscle, I think it gets stronger, wiser. Um, and I think it radiates more. I think it just mm. puts it, your capacity to love grows the more that it's shattered. Um, I think the more that you play it safe, the more your heart is heart, it, it hardens. Right. Mm. So it's like, this is a really bad description, but it's like, um, it's not, it right, works right meat. <laughs> oh, that, that one. Okay, that one sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, I got all artistic with the Japanese art and then I had to throw in the tenderizing meat at the end, but, um, so what's the tenderizing? Is that the, uh, feeling into the pain of what was so you can, uh, yes, acceptance, um, showing yourself at the risk of, uh, rejection, mm. everything that makes you uncomfortable, you know, everything that makes you squirm, um, everything that makes you avoid, run, uh, hold up shields, wear a veneer, all of that stuff. Uh, tenderizing means to actually uh, practice vulnerability and know that, that you can be hurt, that know that someone could leave you or choose not to love you one day. And even knowing that to still um, to love. To, to love hard. And I think that process makes your heart soft and not, soft, not in a bad way, but it tenderizes yeah. in a good way. I think it gives you capacity. And I think your heart then becomes like 
you know, like it sends more love ripples, like the energy that your heart has to love, like that capacity, I think grows and and not only in intimate love, but I think because there's no way you could just fence that in, but in loving your friends and family and in all the different types of love. And I think that suddenly makes you uh, superhuman in a way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that shattering that occurs when we go through heartbreak to me is the shattering away of all. It's the opportunity finally to look at how do I show up? What have I mm-hmm. chosen? Who am I? And I think it it brings us back to like when you are heartbroken, you don't have the energy to wear masks as much anymore. So everything you've been carrying around that you've built a, you know, a nice, beautiful wall around your heart with who you pretend to be, what you pretend to like, you know, they pretend to be strong and independent when you're really not underneath, you know, you're not showing any vulnerability in the, I know in, in reading uh, research on flow on like flow states where yep. you do something and an hour goes by and it feels like five minutes, like surfing right. or, right. you know, uh, whatever it is for people. For me, it's like going in the forest or going surfing or going for a run. I remember reading the research that said when you go through that, when you're in a flow state, your prefrontal cortex shuts down. And that's the part of your brain that's in charge of creating who you are yourself. Mm. And so in that moment where you're not pretending to be something, time slows down and you're present. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that in the context of like, when we are authentically ourselves, when I'm not thinking about what I need to say to you, I'm fully present because my mind's not going through a processor which instantly makes me like 0.001 seconds behind, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you start to be authentic and share what you were saying, those vulnerable conversations, those hard conversations, those things you're holding on to, through heartbreak is a great motivator for that shit, is all of a sudden you're present. And you're present in a way that you've never been before because the veneers are off and the masks are there and you're not thinking about how you're received. You're You're just sending, you're just sharing. And I, for me, that feels like a whole different type of connection, a connection where, you know, that uh, Burning Man statue where it's the two adults with their backs to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside yeah. is the lights of two toddlers facing each other, wanting oh, to be right, right. desperately. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think about that being such the representation of human relationship that like we desperately are afraid of being hurt, but inside of us, it's mm-hmm. just this desire to connect and be loved. Sure. And it's so healing when we experience authentic, true connection. Yeah, you're also talking about, because uh, the word that comes to my mind is becoming, um, being, you know, uh, not being something, but, and, and not becoming something, but the, the, the actual process of that happening and you being there uh, and then sharing that with someone else, you know, so there's no presentation, there's no what ifs. There's no contingency, meaning um, I will show this if you show this, or I will give you this if you give me that. I will love you this way if you love me back this way. And I think that's what we're used to. I think that's what feels safe. I think that's what we've learned and what we've seen and all of that. Um, so it's it's really hard to just um, sit at the table and just be like, here, all the chips in, you know? Mm-hmm. To just share, to just be. I remember when my engagement ended, when I was 27, that was the catalyst to my wanting to learn about relationship. I'd say it took a little while to actually do the learning, but to start. But the the first thing I recognized, I remember asking myself, like, how did I get to this place where I'm so disconnected from who I am? And I remember the first thing that sort of came to me was you ran from every conversation that was hard. 
Like I never had hard conversations. And so I instantly made a rule that I would have every conversation I didn't want to have because those yeah. were the ones that mattered. And that has been one of the hardest rules I've ever lived by because it's like, you know, I know that something's a challenge to talk about. It's really the healing of codependency too, because it's, if I'm afraid to talk to you about something that's hard, it's because I'm afraid of how you might respond to something that's hard, which means I'm taking responsibility for your feelings. Yeah. And whew, man, it was like one of the most freeing things I've ever done, but it, it continues to be scary. That doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it's the most freeing thing to say, like, I will no longer leave um, something in the ether between you and I, like a space where there's like, um, I mean, I guess I think of that next level of relationship you were talking about before, where like in my last re relationship, we really co-created a space where the space between us was sacred, like more important than any other connection. Yeah. And I think that's one of those sort of core tenets to maintaining a sacred space. How did you do that? How did you create that kind of sacred space where it just felt, I'm assuming that was the most sacred space you've created in, in oh, all yeah. your life? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So how did that happen? Was it because both of you guys uh, spoke the same language, were on the same page, was, you know, working on yourselves, all that, or was it more than that? I think it was that we both had an interest in the same language, you know, yeah. but we definitely learned it together. I think it was that we both were committed to something greater than ourselves and to learning. Yeah. Like we didn't, we, neither of us had ever existed in anything like that before. So everything was new. Everything was like a new level of uncertainty. I'm starting to believe that there needs to be some kind of uh, spiritual component. Because uh, when you say greater than yourself, right, whatever that means uh, to, to you, in order to hit those high notes, in order to create that kind of sacred space uh, where, where that much trust is built, I think it's not just about the stuff that we, we read in the, the, the self-help books and the video courses and all that, but almost um, hitting a spiritual level, right? Where, uh, because when something is greater than you, that's where you're, you don't have ego or a lot less ego. And it's usually um, ego, which, which uh, makes us pick up that, that tug of war rope or that can start to put cracks in our container and then start to, you know, destroy the relationship. So yeah, that, 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 uh, that's, you know, something I'm, I'm, I'm kind of learning these days is um, what connection looks like when it's greater than you. Mm. I, I mean, I think about that. If, if the space lives between us and, and we turn side by side towards the world rather than face to face, where what we're building together is in front of us rather than between us. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad said to me when I was young, I didn't understand it then, but I do remember it. He said, you and your partner are separate organisms and what you create together is separate of both of you and it must be nurtured and fed and loved. And like I was like, child. yeah. And I was like, sure, dad. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I'm still mad at her right now. You know, he didn't, he was telling me something great and I didn't listen, but I did listen. I remembered it. And I think in that context where I started to think of all of my actions from the space of how is this contributing to the sacred space we're creating together? Like mm -hmm. it, it means that everything that is ego-based, as you were saying, must fall away. It must fall away. It can be acknowledged and loved and appreciated, you know, for what it is, because ego gets in the way to protect us from being hurt. And so just bringing that forward from that space to then say, because for me, it really was about being committed to truth, no matter what truth meant. Like mm -hmm. being able to tell each other the realities of life at the cost of potentially the relationship. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that, that's when you throw yourself to the place of this is unconditional love. You can, because the truth is anyone can leave a relationship at any time. And if you don't acknowledge that that's real, then, you know, till death do us part doesn't really mean anything. You know, it doesn't. It's just a vow people say, because right. then it creates a prison. If you leave, you broke our vow, even though I left the, the relationship from within it long ago. You know, and that's, to me, I think that was a big thing is that we committed to our relationship never being in prison. And in that provided freedoms to be ourselves, which was really fascinating. I just saw two images, a prison, if you don't swim past the breakers, mm-hmm. and then a, a prism, you know what a prism is, right? Where light, mm-hmm. light you and that if, if you get to the calm and keep going. And I, I love yeah. the idea that um, that love can be a prism and not a prison. I like that too. Without we ego. Got, we got really uh, artistic today. I like this about it. I love it, man. The Japanese are. I mean, we got artistic until I said tenderizing meat, but. You know. <laughs> and then we got practical. I mean, that's just practical. Um, <sighs> I love this conversation we're having. And, uh, and, and you know, what's funny is, is, we're, is we're talking because um, uh, we're also on video. I, I, you, I grew up in the 80s. I don't know when you grew up. Um, I think I'm older than 80s. you. I'm 78. Yeah. That's my birth. Oh, I'm 73. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, the weird science. The, yeah, the, the I remember two, the show. The bras on their head, and they're they're well, they're they're creating a a, a woman. Um, but I just thought, like you and I here, it reminded me of those kids that are geeking out and creating something magical. And I think with you and I, it's a dialogue that a lot of men are afraid to have or don't talk about uh, because we don't talk about love in locker rooms or vulnerability or uh, stuff like that um, just because of a lot of definitions of man. So, um, and I think that's why I feel a kinship with you. It's almost like, Oh, we could geek out and talk about love and not a lot of guys can and uh, you know, put bras on our heads and and (laughs) something kind of magical because we believe in it. And so, yeah, so I I think that's cool. And I think it's needed. Uh, And also with the world today, uh, I think people are finally, open to those conversations. Do you like historically, when you look back, do you, were you always good at talking about your feelings? Yeah, almost too much. So my problem is I'm, so I'm the, the other side of the coin where you said you're, you have difficulty um, having the hard conversations. I don't have difficulty, but I, I actually make it unhealthy because I, I put so much, like I need to talk about everything. Mm. and everything needs to be deep and we can talk about you know it's like it's almost too much where it's like dude you got to give some spaces to breathe and dance um i think um i'm i'm i was codependent in a different way where i was it's like over communicating right Mm. like dependent because if we didn't talk about it then that meant that something was wrong or it's falling apart or whatever so um almost dissecting to the point where uh, you're not able to build because you're talking about it too much. That's me. Mm, those two poles are fascinating, right? Because it's like you think about I need to create security through constantly being reassured and having hard conversations and me yes. being like living in the feeling of needing security, but not having those conversations. So I'm like living in the more avoidant end on that side. I, I'm fascinated by that, that, that we are really in relationship where one person is constantly chasing love and connection and the other one tends to run from it. And so those people just pair so well, you know, because they yeah. validate each other's stories Absolutely. so well. It's the, um, it's the whole, the magnets, you know, yeah. uh, 
So I'm I'm anxious and you're avoidant, or I mean, we're, I can we're, pivot. I like to keep it mixed up, just in case you're not sure. But yeah, I'm I'm more. I would say I'm more anxious now that I can communicate much more effectively. It turned me into more. I used to, I used to be afraid to connect too closely because I was afraid of getting you know devastated. But then once I started to turn towards and receive love, I think it opened up a new. Like now that I'm open to it, what happens if you leave? You know. Well, I don't. I think you're more secure. No, well, now I'm secure, but yeah. I I can deviate. I can I can pivot, but I go well, back to security by saying. What do I need to talk about in order to create security in this? And then I do. But I do have a, a heightened attachment system. There's no doubt about that. Yes. And, you know, that's, you know, speaking of stuff that's running underneath, that's something else, you know, that uh, everyone should know about themselves um, or at least start to discover is uh, their attachment styles and mm -hmm. how they attach to people because that stuff is so powerful. And those aren't things that we're aware of. They're always running underneath. And what we're aware of are like, oh, you didn't do the dishes or, you know, all this stuff not giving <laughs> sex or whatever, you know, all the kind of the, the, the behavior that manifests from a lot of stuff that's radiating from underneath. Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about that, you know, like a secure attachment is sort of defined as um, your partner's needs matter as much as your own, not less or not more. And, and an anxious person you know, being uh, afraid of space, so chases and an avoidant person like needing space because they're afraid of too much closeness. Mm. And I was thinking about that, that like we often think about in relationship is I need to learn how to just take a breath and, and not chase. And that's what the anxious person thinks. And the avoidant person is like, I need to, you know, create space so that I don't have too much closeness. And I was thinking about that is we often think about it in relationship to other people, but really, like the learning for both people is to navigate the relationship to space between them and other people. Avoiding people need too much and anxious people can't can't have any. And it's almost like we've I think we've really cultured or socialized that avoidance are actually in the wrong. And anxious people tend to be more the victim, you know, like I'm just mm -hmm. loving all out. I'm just trying to talk to you. I'm just communicating. Right. Right. And you just want to run. I think we also code uh, people who are avoidant as being narcissistic. We say everyone who's avoidant is a narcissist. Mm -hmm. So it's been fascinating to like observe. Yeah, and, and anxious, anxious being needy. Yeah, like yeah, too much. Yeah. Too yeah. you know, yeah. where you're right. We we have to learn those. Like anyone listening, if you're like shit, I'm that, or I'm that one, or I'm both of those. That's totally normal. It's so human to have a way to cope with insecure relationships with parents. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not like uh, once you're, you know, more secure that you're permanently there. I think, you know, it's always going to be kind of like the, the devil on your shoulder where you could snap back, you know, it just makes us human. So, I mean, it's like any of your addictions or vices, you know, when you have anxiety or you feel rejected or unloved or lonely or whatever it is, uh, you you will tend to go to that, whether that's food or drugs or sex or whatever. And I think it's the same thing with our attachment styles. You know, we do a lot of work on ourselves to be secure. And then we get into something and 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 the, the power of what we get into and that dynamic can set us back or we can snap back like rubber bands. But we 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 won't live there. And that's what's different. Mm, shifting like yeah. the baseline, shifting what home is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is. I, I, I think that's some of the essential work of getting past the breakers is like knowing what kind of swimmer you are. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like do you like front stroke? Do you like freestyle? Do you like backstroke? You know, butterfly. If you're really into struggle, but you know, it's like if 
I, that's so key is to know like what is driving these behaviors and these choices. Yes, what uh, I think everything starts or ends with awareness or lack of. So being aware and understanding yourself and then of course trying to do everything you can to understand your partner. And if you have both of that happening on both sides, then you're able to flip the magnet, meaning you know, flip it back to to um two people um gravitating toward each other. In, in a healthy way, not just based on, you know, the locking eyes across the room or, or whatever. Yeah, like or whatever. Take, taking that to a deeper level. A deeper, bigger than you kind of mm. uh, spiritual level. Uh, connecting the subconscious where you're laying uh, healthy tracks, you know, that kind of stuff. I do love how this continues to come back to presence. Like this idea of, can you be at peace with yourself? Because if you can be at peace with yourself, then and you like your peace, then you'll want to help teach. You'll want to be, help be in relationship with someone else who desires the same. Yeah. And, and, and you'll also be repelled by people who are not, I think you'll have a lower tolerance for unhealthy behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And fully this, agree. Is a, this is probably another episode, but I also believe our love buds change like our taste buds. And as we grow and change and, and, you know, climb the muscle of the hierarchy and fulfill our needs and, 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 and we're thirsty for self actualization and, and all of that. Um, what we used to be attracted to, um, now we can be repelled by very fast. Yeah, absolutely agree with you that the more you get to know you, the more you set different standards for yourself mm-hmm. and make those truly in alignment with your values and in your integrity, then anyone who pulls you away from what is core and central to who you are, you won't want to be with. Yeah. And I think it's not just love. I think as you kind of um, become that that person uh, that's that you're maneuvering more at your potential and your truth, um, you start to notice it uh, not just with love, but in friendships, you start to bound, you know, draw, draw boundaries with the family um, in business. Like, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's not just love. Fuck yeah. So true. Everything yeah. that how you do one thing is how you do everything is absolutely true. Yes, which is uh, which is good news, meaning you don't have to work on yourself um, in compartments, <laughs> but you can just do it overall and uh, start living on a, on, a, on a higher level. Well, my friend, I think on that, that seems like the ideal note. Fix yourself, heal yourself, heal the world, heal yourself, heal your friends, heal your family. I think it's all that self-work. Yeah. And if you guys are in a relationship or you're just dating someone or you're in a space where there's a lot of uh, um, what we've been talking about this in this episode, breakers, resistance, all of that. See if you can try to swim past that this time. And uh, it's going to look different for everyone. But I think if you can uh, try to get to the calm, because if you give yourself a new experience, that's when um, everything can change. Yeah, And sometimes when you change yourself, like reduce your triggers, learn who you are naturally it will actually just invite the other person past the breakers with you. Yeah. Yeah. It'll disengage. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then all of a sudden when they're not triggered with your triggers, then they're like, Oh wait, I think I'm a strong swimmer. Actually. I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. 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 Well, my friend, it's always, always an honor. And yeah. Thank you for the conversation. I love it. And um, for the people listening who don't know where to find you, where do they go? What do you got going on? Uh, just angry therapist, <laughs> either.com or at, uh, across the board. Okay, perfect. And any, I mean, you have your book that I think everyone should pick up, go buy his book. I have a book and, um, I've kind of become obsessed with, uh, texting people. So I'm doing that. 
Um, and yeah, just, how do people know, get your text? It's awesome. Uh, just go to my website. And then, uh, so I have a little, uh, a very small team and we're, we meet once a week to program what's going to happen every week. And so it's kind of like fitness programming where we pick a different topic and have some challenges and stuff. So it's becoming really fun and creative. And that's so awesome. Well, I invite people to check it out because I see them all the time shared. So people are, you're, you guys are going to love them. If you want updates and reminders of love and getting past those breakers, then go sign up on John's site, theangrytherapist.com. I'm jealous of you learning to surf and uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get together soon. Yeah, it sounds good, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. All right, Mark. Thank you. Thank you.